0: Come on. Good to be together again. I assume that probably there's something that you've already done uh, in by way of getting ready for Christmas. People start talking about that, it seems, earlier every year. I know we have kids in our Sunday school classes already working on songs uh, that they're doing uh, for the Christmas program. Maybe you've started a list of gifts to buy. Maybe you've already bought some of them and kind of feeling ahead of things a little bit this year. Maybe you're planning out how to decorate your house both inside and out to make it more festive. Maybe you're one of those crazy people that's already started doing the Christmas decorating. But for the past nine years, one thing that our church has done to get ready for Christmas is taking a break from whatever sermon series we were in, which this year is the book of Acts, and instead getting into a book of the Old Testament. Usually we've done a short book of the Old Testament in the four to six weeks leading up to Christmas. But between these Advent sermon series and a series we did on the short books of the Bible, we're fresh out of short Old Testament books uh, that we haven't done recently. And so uh, what we're doing instead this year is taking these six weeks leading up to Christmas to do a series that I'm just calling Covenant, in which we'll walk through each of the major Old Testament covenants in order. As we walk through each of them, here's what I'm praying for. I just want you to know up front, here's, here's my aim. Here's why we're doing this. Number one, I want us to grow in our ability to understand the Bible. Maybe you're here today and like, you're, pretty, you're pretty new to even trying to read and understand the Bible. Or maybe you're somebody who for a long time has been reading the Word of God. Maybe you understand individual parts of it. But one thing I think will happen as we walk through this series is we can kind of see the Old Testament covenants acting like a skeleton, Right? Uh, Or a framework upon which everything kind of sits. In a way that helps us to see how all of the Old Testament is pointing us ahead to Christ. So we're going to go through each of these major covenants in order. I hope it helps you understand the Bible better. Number two, I hope it helps us to trust in God more. Because one of the things that we're going to see as we walk through each of these covenants is that in each of them, God is always faithful. And the people are not. And then I hope in that, it will help us to do the third thing, and that is grow in our longing for Jesus. As we see the repeated failure of people, and you've seen that in your life, right? that that, man, you've maybe gotten to a point like, I'm not sure who I can trust. I hope that you get to a point like, I can trust God. I need Jesus. We we see all of these failures, and we're looking, we're longing for someone better, and we're going to start seeing that as we go through each of these covenants. Uh, Because that's going to be kind of the word that we use each week, I figure we should probably define it. What's a covenant? Okay, A covenant, I'm using a a definition from a couple of really smart guys um, named Gentry and Wallum, who I think uh, define it really well. They're saying a covenant is this, a relationship Between two parties involving permanent and serious commitments of faithful, loyal love, obedience, and trust. So, at its core, then, a covenant is a committed kind of relationship that has some terms and some things to live by faithful, loyal love, obedience, and trust. So, we're going to have actually, it'll be three weeks, we'll be in the book of Genesis. The word covenant doesn't actually show up in the Bible until Genesis chapter 6, but most people acknowledge that we have God's first establishment of a covenant, a special relationship with people, not first in Genesis 6, but right away at the beginning of the Bible. And so we're going to today not read all of Genesis 1 through 3, but we're going to look at some key components of Genesis 1 through 3, where we see how God establishes a covenant with his people, how they break it, and end by looking at how this creates in us a longing for Jesus. So um, let's go ahead. If you have a Bible with you, open up to Genesis chapter 1. If you don't have one and need a Bible, we would be happy to get one to you after the worship service today. Just let me know. We also have the words up on The screen. Now, I said we're going to cover portions of Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3 today, but we're going to begin here by just reading Genesis 1 verses 24 to 31. If you're able to, our custom is we stand as we read the Word of God. So please do that if you can. Let's pray. Father, it is your word that we need to hear. I know in the end people uh, can take or leave, agree with or disagree with any words that I would say, but I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, and I pray that we would be fertile soil that it would really be our desire, what we just prayed to you in song, that you would come and awaken our hearts and illuminate our minds, and mostly, God, that you would magnify your Son, Jesus Christ, as we look at your Word that is given to us as your people, that your Spirit might work to build us up for your glory. In the sake of Jesus' name, in whose name we pray. Amen. Genesis chapter 1, verse 24 is where we'll start going to the end of the chapter. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was and it was so, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the 6th day. Amen. You can be seated. Now, Genesis 1 through 3 could easily be something we would spend 12 to 16 weeks just walking through. And there it would be benefit to that. But, but this is coming kind of in the context of a series where we're trying to understand how all of the Old Testament fits together and how all of it points us ahead to Jesus. And so we start here. We start with this idea which we see in the passage I just read that God desires and establishes a relationship with His people. If we would have gone all the way back to the beginning of Genesis 1, you would see the God who has eternally existed, one God in three persons, always existed, speaking into nothing and creating everything. And Genesis 1 gives us an orderly account of how that took place. And so there's a lot of repetition as we go through, this is what happened and then it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the first day, and then the second day. I just started at day six. And in day six, God is creating beasts that live and crawl around on the ground, and His comment was that it was good, right at the end of verse 25. But what I want to zoom in on here for a moment as we try to see, how do we know that God wants a relationship with us? How are we different than any of the rest of creation? We see in verse 26 and verse 27, a couple of important distinctions. It says, verse 26, Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And we're going to see in two verses, verses 26 and 27, the, the words image repeated three times and the word likeness mentioned one time. God said these things about no other part of creation right the light and the heat of the stars are astounding you remember like being in school kids that you're in school right now you learn some of these things about the universe that we live in and you're probably absolutely amazed the heat and the light of the stars are astounding the vast expanse like how big our universe is is unfathomable The beautiful diversity of all the different trees and plants and creatures in the land, in the ocean. The unique features and intelligence of animals like giraffes and bees and your pet dog. All of these things are really amazing. But God doesn't say about any of those things that they are made in the image and likeness of God. You noticed as I read, even just those verses 24 and 25, how many times it repeated in there, these things are made according to its kind. And then, you notice a change in the pattern of how that's talked about when we get to verses 26 and 27. Humans are the pinnacle or crown of God's creative work. Only humans are made, male and female, in the image or likeness of god this idea of being made in the image of god puts us in a unique place in creation carrying with it the idea of rulership and so you maybe notice these words like dominion have dominion subdue it that's our relationship we're to be fruitful to multiply fill the earth and subdue it to have dominion over all of it so god is establishing there's a distinction Between everything else that God spoke into existence and humans. Okay? So so there's like, there's everything else, and then there's humans made in the image of God, made to rule over, to have dominion over the rest of creation. So we see that pretty clearly there in chapter one, but also we need to make sure we notice this this word likeness often refers to sonship. So if you even flipped ahead like a couple pages in your Bible to Genesis 5, 3, it talks about Seth being made in Adam's likeness. Okay? So, So, so 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 us being made in the likeness of God is referring to this idea of sonship, of belonging, or having a unique relationship to the God who made us. Made in his likeness. A unique relationship to. God And so then, if we kept going into chapter 2, we would see a more personal account of what happened on day 6 of creation. It's kind of zooming in just on day 6. and a much more personal account, Moses begins using God's more personal or covenant name. And you maybe would notice, even in our English Bibles, you can see this. In chapter 1, God is referred to as God, the word the, the Hebrew word is Elohim. And then if you look at chapter 2, once we get to verse 4 and following, the word changes, and God is referred to as the Lord. And in our English Bible, Lord is all in capital letters. The Lord God, or Yahweh Elohim. right? The more personal covenant name of God starts to be used as we start to see that God, who has made humans, unique from the rest of creation and distinct from Him, living to be rulers over the rest of creation, but in right relationship to Him, we see that more clearly then when we get to chapter 2. And so I want to look at verses 15 to 17 in particular. Now just a little bit of context, if we would to read all through chapter 2, we see more of God's creation in Adam, how that came, creation of Adam, how that came about. And Eve has not yet been formed. Okay? When we get to verse 15. Eve has not yet been formed. But in verse 15, it says this, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. So God has established, Here's, here's a distinction, there is God, there is humans, male and female, and then there is the rest of creation. And now God is establishing not just a relationship, but the terms of that relationship. You're created to live in relationship, in right relationship with one another and with the rest of creation, but most importantly, in right relationship with God. And the way that's going to work is that you adhere to the terms of the covenant that He lays out. That is, He is the one who makes the commands and we're the ones who do the obeying. Right? That's the way God intended for things to work. God makes the commands, we do the obeying. That's what it looks like to live in right relationship we're in covenant with God. And it really is a beautiful arrangement. God completes his creative work in the rest of chapter 2 by creating Eve. And the two, it says, are naked and not ashamed. They're living together as husband and wife. This is the first marriage in a perfect paradise. They're in right relationship with one another. And most importantly, they're living in right relationship with God by the time we get to the end of chapter 2. Quick pause before we move on to chapter 3. I called this sermon, Just Like Our Parents, God's Covenant with Adam. Many of us have realized probably that we are just like our parents in lots of ways, right? Um, So up on the screen uh, will be a picture of my dad. That's a picture of my dad. Uh, um, He served in the United States Army, uh, enlisted during Vietnam, got to stay here in the United States. Uh, By the way, grateful uh, for those of you who have served this last Thursday, um, was Veterans Day. And so thank you for your service. Uh, a number of times people have commented, uh, so I've never, this is like one of the few times I've seen my dad without a mustache. Um, but uh, people have commented that I look like my dad. There's a number of things that I do and say like my dad, whether I want to or not, it just comes out, right? Uh, and some of you are like that too. Like, I, I'm just like my mom. I'm just like, right? Right. Um, But we're just like our parents in a lot of ways. And in many ways, we're just like our parents, Adam and Eve, as well. That we too are created by God in His image and likeness. It's not just true about Adam and Eve. That's true about you. Like you have unique value. Because you too have been created in the very image of God. We don't, we don't look down on any kind of life, whatever life stage, whatever era, like a level of development, whatever age, whatever. We, we don't look down on any of it because we believe all life created by God in His image, all human life, right? And like our parents, Adam and Eve, we too are distinct from the rest of creation, Created to live not only in right relationships with each other, we need relationships with each other, but we're also created, like Adam and Eve were, to live in a right relationship with God. But that's not our experience, is it? Like, What happened to paradise? What happened to us living in right relationship with each other and with God? We're pretty quick to recognize that's not the way it is stuff is broke how did it get broken well in my bible i don't even need to turn the page like genesis 3 is on the same page as genesis 2 in my bible so let's go ahead and turn there we're going to see now so we've seen god establishing a covenant or a relation a special kind of relationship with his people in chapters 1 and 2 but we're going to see in chapter 3 how that gets broken Okay, so Genesis chapter 3, 1 through 7. Let's just read it. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, Sin happens here in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, and it happens still now, when we believe that there's something better than a right relationship with God. Right? If Adam and Eve had been convinced that the greatest good for them was a right relationship with God, with them living under God's rule, where God's the one who makes the commands and they're the ones who obey. If they had been convinced of that, They would not have sinned, but they were not convinced of that. They were convinced of something else. The tree was good for food. It was a delight to the eyes. It was desired to make them wise. God was holding out on them in some way. They desired something that they thought would be better than a right relationship with God, living rightly under His rule. And the result was devastating. Sin, disobedience, rebellion against God. Verse 7 then goes on and says this, Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Something seemed better, but now sin entered the world and something seems wrong. They didn't even know what it felt like for something to seem wrong. But something that had been totally normal, like them being naked, now seems suddenly wrong. And so there's shame and they're seeking to cover themselves, doing whatever they can. Let's sew together some fig leaves, see if that will do the trick. It won't work. God calls them to account. They have broken the covenant. God has established a relationship. God is the ruler. God sets the terms, they've broken that. What happens in verses 8 and 9? It says this, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. That's not a right relationship with God, is it? That they hear God and rather than being drawn to Him, they, they, they know something of their sin, their rebellion, their disobedience. And so... They hide themselves from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Verse 9, But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Note this, that God calls out to the man, to Adam, not Eve. Yes, Eve was the one who ate the fruit first and shared it with her husband. But remember, when God gave the command back in chapter 2, who was there? Just Adam. Adam, as the covenant head, was the one to be responsible. He had received the terms of the covenant from God, and he was to lovingly lead and protect and serve his wife, and he failed. And so when God comes to the garden, He calls out Adam in verse 9. Let's read on in verse 10. And He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid Myself. Verse 11, he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. And so all of a sudden we have this brokenness of not even being willing to acknowledge their own sin. They start the blame game. Well, it was her. No, it was that serpent. They're just not willing to take Responsibility. We could go on and God is going to them then speak first to the serpent, then to the woman, then to Adam. But let's skip ahead to verse 21 where it says, "...and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever..." Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Adam and Eve had rebelled. They disobeyed. They sinned. They broke the covenant. And therefore, they are sent out from the garden. They are driven out. That's the two words that are used there. They're barred from returning. Yes, the whole world broken now by sin. But most importantly, a right relationship with God for which they were created is broken by sin. Here's our problem. We're just like our parents. It's good news that we're just like our parents, made in the image of God. And it's also bad news that we're just like our parents, Adam and Eve. I probably don't have to convince you, do I, that the world is broken? Like you have a phone, right? You have access to the internet. You can read, perhaps. You have eyes. You can see. You've felt the sting of death hitting too close to home. You know the world is broken. I might not even need to convince you that you're broken. Maybe you feel it. Adam and Eve felt it. They recognized all of a sudden something's wrong. They were ashamed. They tried to cover themselves up. They tried to hide from the Lord God. They tried to cover themselves up by sewing together fig leaves. You know that you're broken, right? That 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 the physical like like that we're all headed towards death. Like as you get older, stuff just doesn't work as well. Your body's broken. You've tried to do what you can to heal it, but you don't know how to make it whole and right again. You can't seem to win the battle in your mind as you feel the weight of your anxiety or your addiction and these things seem to have a hold on you and you can't just make it go away. We know that we're broken. I might not need to convince you of that, but here's what I want to convince you of today. I want to convince you of this, that the problem runs really, really deep. Because the cause is really, really deep. The cause is sin. It can be traced back to what we just read in Genesis chapter 3. And unless we're convinced that the problem is none other than sin, which is ultimately rebellion against God, a, a desire to live outside of His good order, Because this is what we all are by nature and by choice. We are just like our parents. The problem is deep. And so the solution is not going to be found in any elected leader, in any doctor, in any medicine, in any therapist. Our ultimate solution, our ultimate hope can't be found there. The worst consequence of our brokenness is a broken relationship with the God who made us to be in right relationship with Him. And that comes about by our sin and rebellion and reminds us that we need something so much. Like Adam failed. So is there any hope? I mean, just think about it. Like, we didn't get very far. We're in chapter 3. And it's all broken and messed up. And by the way, if you keep reading in chapter 4, it doesn't get any better. Right? So, so, so the, the Bible's gone from like beautiful to bleak in three chapters. Is there any hope? Well, let me tell you this. The hope is not going to be in sowing fig leaves together for ourselves. The hope is going to have a lot more to, with what we see to do in verse 21. Did you catch that little clue about what's to come? In verse 21, And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. If our sin's going to be covered, it's going to require death. That's how you get an animal skin, right? It's going to require death. It's going to require the shedding of blood. And it's going to require God doing something that we couldn't do. So we get a little clue there. I hope just walking through these, and this might be, you know, of the passages we go through, this one might be the most familiar, but we can't understand the thrust of the Bible if we don't understand rightly Genesis 1-3. through So we needed to start here. But I didn't just want to help you understand the Old Testament better. Remember, I want to help us grow in our longing for Jesus. I want to help us recognize, I can't trust in people. Totally. Right? That's fine. Like, I don't trust ultimately in anything. Like, all these problems that I have in me and in the world, they're not going to be fixed by electing that person or going to that doctor or taking that medicine. Our hope can't be there. But, is there hope? And the answer is yes. And it does come in a human, one who was and is fully God. And fully man. I told you that one of my goals for the series is that we would grow in our longing for Jesus. We see brokenness and we wonder if there's hope. We see it here in Scripture. I've seen it in my 41 years of life. I've seen enough brokenness that I just want Jesus to come back. That's one of the goals of this Advent series. That we would just say, oh Jesus come. Just as, as we walk through the Old Testament. And here, here's what here's what it would be good for me to do, but I'm not going to do. I, what, what, what I think might be good for me to do is to just leave you hanging every week. Like, like we get, we get like, oh, Adam failed. And I just leave you hanging until next week. And we get to Noah. And spoiler alert, Noah's going to fail. Like, and we just keep going. And like every week, it just keeps building. Because that would help us to feel what the people of the Old Testament felt. As they're like... I still trust God because God is always good. He's always faithful. He's never failed. But we just keep messing it up. And it just kind of builds and builds and builds as you walk through the Old Testament. You see these, these reestablishments of the covenant that God makes. In the end, it would be good for me to leave you hanging every week so that we get to the point where we just say, Oh, Jesus, come. But I also know this is the reality. Maybe you won't be here next week. And so I'm going to get to Jesus every week. Okay? But I, know, I just want you to feel like by me getting to Jesus every week, they didn't get to do that right? They got to feel the weight of sin and brokenness and a longing for a Messiah, a longing for a Savior, that, that for generation after generation, they didn't get to experience He has come. We get to be on this side of it saying He has come and He is coming again. So I want to do one thing before we close, and that is turn to Romans chapter 5. There's other places that we could turn, but I want us to get to Jesus. And and as we kind of put together Adam's failure and all of the things that that caused and how that causes us to long for Jesus, we need to turn to a place like Romans 5 starting in verse 17. Our memory verse is going to come out of this passage for this week. This is a little bit complicated. Let's pray for a second. God, God, would you help us as we read this little portion of your word which is so pivotal and so important but maybe hard to understand. Would you work in our minds and hearts right now that we we get this? Amen. Romans 5, 17-21 For if, because of one man's trespass Who's that one man? Adam, right? Because of one man's trespass death reigned through that one man. The result of Adam's sin is death reigns. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life Through the one man, Jesus Christ. What Romans 5 is doing is it's setting up a contrast between Adam, the one man, through whom sin and death enter the world and reign, and the other man, Jesus, through whom righteousness and life will reign. Let's keep going. Verse 18, Therefore, as one trespass, that's Adam's, led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, again, Adam, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, that's Jesus, the many will be made righteous." Now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see that contrast, don't you? Through Adam and his disobedience, sin and death... Enter the world and sin and death reign. But in Jesus, the true and better Adam, by his obedience, righteousness comes and grace reigns through all those who receive the free gift of righteousness leading to eternal life in Jesus. So, so here's where that hits us. The problem is all of us are born in Adam. Adam right that's good news we're like our parents We're made in the image of God all of us having value and made for relationship with God the problem is none of us are born into a right relationship with God we all have this this thing in us and if you don't believe me hang out with a two-year-old right that we have this thing in our nature where we want to rebel against authority we want to be the one in charge right That's us. That's all of us. And so we are all sinners by nature and by choice. And our sin separates us from a holy and righteous God. We deserve not to be in reconciled and right relationship with Him, but we deserve wrath from Him. Yet, there is this true and better Adam, Jesus. Fully God and fully man. Who was tempted, it says, in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Adam, tempted in the garden, and he fails. Jesus, taken into the wilderness, tempted by Satan, and he succeeds. Right? And then Jesus dies in our place, taking our punishment, so that in Him, we who trust in Him are made righteous. We're born in Adam, sinners separated from God. Have you been born again in Christ? Right? The answer isn't going to be like, man, I've got to try harder to be better. That's like sowing fig leaves. That's going to wilt. That's not going to last. Our hope is in the person and work of Jesus. Have you received the free gift of righteousness? It only comes by God's grace through faith in Jesus. We're just like our parents, Adam and Eve, male and female, created in the image and likeness of God, created to live in right relationship with each other and with God, and is broken. And our hope can't be in ourselves or any other person other than the one who is fully God and fully man, the man, Christ Jesus, the true and the better Adam. We long for him, we need Jesus. Next week, we're going to jump into Genesis chapter 6 through 9. You go ahead and read through that account. We're not going to obviously read all of it next week. We're going to look at God's covenant with Noah. I want you to note as you look at that, how, how some of the same language from Genesis 1 to 3 is used again in Genesis 6 through 9. You're going to see another failure that causes us to long again and again for Jesus. Let's Let's pray before we sing together. Oh God, thank you. (laughs) Thank you for your Spirit's work through your Word. I get done preaching a passage like this and I think of all the stuff I missed, all the stuff I could have said, all the stuff that would have been helpful, but I pray that your Holy Spirit would fill in some gaps and that, that more than anything else you would help us to see our desperate need for Jesus, that we would long for Him. Thank You for creating us. And thank You for creating us for a relationship with You. God, I pray that You would help us to see Your holiness. Help us to see our sin in such a way that our hearts are drawn to long for Jesus. That we would be utterly convinced that my hope is not in any system or any person, including myself, anyone other than Jesus. That You would help us to long for Him, the perfect Son of Man, who in His living and in His suffering never sinned. Help us to long for Jesus, the true and better Adam who came to save hell-bound sinners like us. Help us to do this now as we sing, and help our longing for Jesus to grow as we ready our hearts for Christmas again this year. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. So the call of the word of God is all always-